you go like this. Oh, you feel it. <laughs> now, thank you for your presence in this place, God. Thank you for your peace that fills our hearts. Thank you for your goodness that surrounds us. Jesus, we lift you up as you draw all men unto yourself. Amen. So that was, uh, I'm sure everyone has heard by now what has happened yesterday. I think it was really such an awesome time in Mitchell's Plain. Apparently, the, um, it's the first time that many white people has been into Mitchell's Plain. That's what all the newspapers article says. But it was really such a moment. There were two things that were really significant. I, in fact, um, I took my family with. Uh, Liana said, no, I should just go by myself. And then I said, no, I really feel, I really feel this is something that my kids need to witness. Because I, I, I get the sense that this is going to be one of those events that um, you're going you're gonna to look back and say, I was at that event. I was there that day when God did something amazing. And God did, re- uh, did something really amazing. Two things that stood out, I'm sure most of you have heard by now, but um, as we started singing, I mean, there was, there was no prayer, there was no preaching, nothing had happened yet. Um, but as we started singing for the rain to come, it came, like instantly. It was amazing. I think I said it a couple of weeks ago, but, you know, light and darkness, there's no contest. If you go to that light switch there at the back and you switch on the light, it's not like the light really struggles to get through the darkness. Hey, there's, no, there's no contest. You flick the light and instantly the, the place is filled with light. There's no struggle for light to penetrate through darkness. You know, and that's, the, that's the picture of the kingdom of God. There's no struggle for God against the, the devil. It's not like, you know, the devil is this powerful and God is just a little bit ahead of him. It's not like that. You know, it's light and darkness. The, the conte- there's no contest. And that's literally what it felt like yesterday at Mitchell's Plain is we just pitched up and then the battle was over. You know, it was done. You know, case closed. You know, God had already won the battle. And so, so the rain was, was, was pouring down, and then I'm sure, again, most of you have heard of the, I think it was eight gang leaders that responded to Jesus. Not gang members, gang leaders. Now, I mean, everyone at that point, you know, was in tears, just realizing what is happening. Do, do you, do, can you imagine gang leaders? I mean, we have, I, I haven't heard of such a thing. Have you heard of this? Anywhere in the world, that eight gang leaders, I mean, Cape Town is notorious as a place um, for gangs. I mean, now in the world, in fact, you get as many gangs as in Cape Town, and all these gang leaders came to Jesus, eight of them last night. That is really incredible. Take out the time to talk to someone if you haven't been there, and, and, and you know, become part of the story. Um, I, was, I was standing there in the worship, and the worship was was so powerful, you know, you could just sense just that, that presence of, you know, just repentance, you know, that's that, I think I've only experienced it twice before, um, once was uh, two, two years ago when I was in, in Indonesia, um, and they experiencing a massive revival, um, I've, I'm sure I've shared this before, but a million Muslims come to Christ each year in Indonesia, they are seeing the most incredible revival of people that just come to Christ 
um, they, they, they don't do any marketing. Um, in fact, they're not allowed to do any marketing. But people just come. The Holy Spirit literally supernaturally draws people, and then they just get saved in the presence of God. They just get healed in the presence of God. There's no altar calls, no flashy stuff. People just afterwards come to the past, and then they said, no, I've been healed of this tumor, and I got healed of cancer. Just in the worship, they experience the presence of God. Um, but I felt it yesterday. In the, you know, people were just so, you know, convicted of sin. You know, like you read in the, in the, in the, in the book of, on revivals, and each great revival um, was preceded by great repentance. After the great repentance, the repentance just continued. It was just a move of uh, um, holiness um, of God that would bring people to confess His greatness and see His greatness and allow Him um, to be great in their midst. But as I was worshiping, I felt that this, this, is, this is amazing, but this is not it. This is only the start of it. But I felt the following words. I felt God said, um, today Cape Town has seen a great sign. I felt that that's, that's what God was wanting to do. It wasn't about getting the masses there. It wasn't about thousands of people getting saved. Um, it wasn't even about the rain, and, and the rain is coming, right? But it was about a sign for us to see. And now it's up to us to continue what we saw, right? Um, so coming back to the, 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 those eight gang members that responded, and Uncle Angus did a really powerful thing there. Um, it was actually a year, about a year and a half ago, Angus in this room, and I mean, he always speaks about his hat, Who's, who's heard Uncle Angus speak about his hat? I mean, he loves that hat, right? Someone in Australia gave him that hat. And, you know, then the other thing is he always wears the boots. And he gave away those items. He said in a dream he felt that um, he must give away these things. So he took off his boots and gave it to one of the gang leaders, took off his hat, took off his shirt. Was there something else? His jacket and his Bible, yes. And all of those things... Um, some of them are, like, very expensive. But more than that, it was, like, the sentimental value. And then afterwards, he said that, you know, he feels so free. He feels so free by just giving it away. And that is what I believe the sign is to us, is, is the freedom that, that he demonstrated there, the freedom that comes in Christ by just giving, Right? And giving, and so, so I'm, I, I don't know about you, but th- there's, there's a massive stir. There's, there's something coming, and, and I believe we can choose to be a part of it, or we can choose to not be a part of it. And that's, that's what I want to talk about this, this, this evening, because we want to be a part of it, amen? Who wants to be a part of it? Put up your hand. Say to Jesus, I want to be a part of this. I want to be a part of what you are doing. Thank you for the hands. So, Matthew was speaking about worship last week. I'm going to continue from where he left off. And I want to talk practically first. So, worship is amazing, right? It's amazing that you and I can come and we can connect to the heart of Jesus, right? And worship is communication, right? It's not like we just come and we do stuff and we perform for God, 
But when we come to God, we give to Him, He gives back. Isn't that amazing? All the other religions in the world, and I've, I've studied, studied comparative religion, all the other religions require things to be done on behalf of the worshiper. But in the Christian um, religion, if you want to call it that, Jesus responds. And he is the sacrifice first for us. He demonstrates and he gives himself. He comes, he makes the first step towards us. Isn't that amazing? He does, he does the first thing. And so, so everything that you and I do, it's not from a place of performance because we're doing it in response to what he has already done. That is worship. Worship is just standing still and coming to the realization of how amazing Jesus is and what he has done. And then there's this natural response. And so if you come to worship and there's not that, that sense of expectation, that butterflies in your stomach, something's going to happen now, it means you need to come back to the heart of worship. It means you need to allow Jesus to rekindle the joy of your salvation. Because every time you worship, there's, that, there's, this, there's opportunity for you to connect to Jesus, to hear his voice, to to receive instruction, to receive something from Him that He gives us. You know, every time I worship this, almost every time I come to Him, there's something that He gives to me, some instruction, some command, some step of obedience. Um, and in the times that I don't receive that command, that step of obedience, those are the times that I'm most fulfilled because he's, he's given me either his love or I felt his compassion or, um, or just that something that was, was inexpressible or incomprehensible. And many times Jesus does something and I, my mind doesn't understand it, but I continue with my life and then my mind catches up. Oh, okay, that's what happened. Right? That's the Jesus we serve. Amen? He's, he's alive. He's alive. And so, um, and this is a real shift that we, we're going through as a congregation um, the shift from coming to church to get something to coming to church to meet with someone, right? Worship is, is the main goal. That's why we come to church, is to meet with the King of Kings. The message, the word, that is, that is part of it. But the main aim, the main goal is for us to meet with Jesus, right? And I believe, I believe prophetically we're going to have times again We've had this before. We, we, we're going to put away the word because we're going to just be in the presence of Jesus. We're going to just write throughout, just worship him. Um, and, and I believe those times are coming. But we need to prepare ourselves. So just a couple of ideas just to get practical, just to get your minds going. Um, um, and, and, and in terms of worship, sometimes you stand there and you're like, what now? What now? What now? Where, where's, where's, where's God? I'm not feeling it. I'm not... I'm not experiencing, I'm not hearing something, but I'm just, I'm just here. So there's a couple of things that you can do in worship or that God leads you in. And, and every, every time is unique. Every person is unique. God speaks to everyone differently because he knows you. He made you unique and he, he knows how you operate. And so sometimes, you know, some of us, we, we're not inclined to dancing and being out loud. But in, in that still place, Jesus speaks to us, right? Some of us, we need to, we need to make some space. You know, Matthew was was good in encouraging us. You know, some of us are going to get out of our pews, and uh, thanks for the ladies, Shanice and uh, Bianca, that did the dancing. Some of the ladies need to dance, and some of the men actually as well. Um, 
But some of us connect to God in that way. Um, but we connect differently. The, the, the main thing is just that we connect. Okay? So the first thing is disciplining your mind and engaging your spirit. So remember, the first thing you do, and this, is, this, this always helps me, is that we have been um, awakened when we came to salvation. Our spirits was made alive. But now, the scripture says that the mind is contrary to the things of the spirit. The natural mind, um, the natural person fights against the spirit. All right? So many times you come into worship and there's just nothing. And you know, the, the, the flesh is strong. Right? And, he, you know, someone uses the phrase, you need to beat that flesh into submission. Right? Beat your body into submission so that your spirit reigns. So know that, you know, many times in worship, you're going to have to fight that battle. You're going to have to come across that place where your spirit becomes strong. And the more we, we exercise our spirit, um, Jude says, building ourselves up in our innermost being. Right? And so when we become fit, it, it becomes easier, right? When your spirit is strong, you step into worship and you're there. But, but sometimes we need to just overcome the flesh, right? And engage the spirit. So there's many practical things you, you can do. Um, obviously, um, we're not performing for God. Um, that was the powerful picture we saw in the book of Kings where Elijah and the Baal prophets they were, you know, doing a sacrifice and, you know, remember, you know, you remember Elijah called down the fire from heaven and, you know, God just responded. There was no struggle. Again, light and darkness, eh? And so the Baal prophets, they were performing for their gods. They were cutting themselves. They were doing all these things and really to get their God to perform. With Elijah, he just spoke the word. He was in the spirit. So we never perform for God. We, we act on something that, we do, that He does. And so, so many times we can, you know, God can ask you to do prophetic actions, like dancing. Dancing is, is a prophetic act. But some, sometimes something as simple as going on your knees is a powerful statement. It's a powerful thing that you can do. It's, it's a powerful act of, of saying, God, but I surrender to you, like I was praying earlier. We're all going to bow the knee one day, you know. We might as well get used to it because that's what we're going to do in heaven. We're going to just worship Jesus because he's so amazing. And again, it's, it's going to happen. It's not going to be like, I need to get, you know, remember to bow the knee. No, when you see God, it will happen automatically, right? And so you can practically do things with your body. God has given us our body, um, you know, religious worship, worship simply with the mind, but that's a poor substitute for what God has for us where we engage with Him with the Spirit and in truth. Our whole beings engage with God, right? And so you, you, can, you can do some sort of prophetic action, whatever God calls you to do. You can clap your hands. Clapping your hands is, is powerful. Did you know that Jesus had overcome the devil, right? Every time you clap your hands, it's like you're putting it in His face, right? He's been overcome, and we have the victory. And I think sometimes we forget that we have the victory. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves and remind the devil that Jesus is the victorious one. He's already won the battle. I think so many times we give the devil too much glory. Right? He's been conquered. It's over. We need to remind him of what Jesus 
has done. You can do business with God. So many times, you know, in worship, God just takes you somewhere, man, and just, just continue with that. You know, I've just become so weird. You know, it's that still small voice. And sometimes our minds are so busy, you know. And we just need to quiet our minds, say, mind, be still. Just be still. I want to hear God. And then just go with what he says and begin to engage Jesus with what he is doing. So amazing. Yesterday we were, um, I think it was Angus said that we're going to pray now. And my little five-year-old girl started prophesying. So I was like, oh, well, that's a good idea. Let's go with that. You know, and we started praying, and, and, and I was praying, 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 and then she would say another thing, and I would continue praying, praying, praying. And it was like she was directing my prayer. You know, it was such a precious moment um, where God was, was, was leading us in specific ways. But God could lead you in specific things that he wants you to pray into. Don't get stuck in worship just focusing on yourself, Right? Yes, Jesus comes and he deals with you and he does things in you. But be open to, maybe he's asking you to pray for a brother on the other side. Maybe he's showing you someone, maybe there's someone that is, is impressing on your heart that needs to receive salvation. Again, worship is communication. Jesus says that my house shall be a house of prayer. Right? That's what we do when we come together is we pray. We connect with Jesus. So don't wait for someone, maybe the, the, the prophetic people that come up with a word and direct us. You don't wait for that. You go for it. You are a prophet in God's house. You're a priest. You know, and, and recognize that that is the way that God can speak to you as you just come into his presence. So it's, it's exciting, amen? It's exciting as we, as we lift up the name of Jesus and communicate with him then the bible speaks about coming together with the song with the hymn with the spiritual song with the prophecy paul says that when i'm alone i pray in the spirit he says i pray in the spirit more than all the people in that particular church and they were like praying people right they were prophesying people they were gifts of the spirit they were pentecostal people right but he said, I pray more than all of you in the spirit. But when I come to church, when I come to the corporate gathering, there's a prophecy. Right? And so, so you know, we value the voice of God in this church. So if you get a word and you're a member of this church, then come forward, share. You know, we shouldn't even, uh, you know, ask for words. Because God speaks. Amen? Right? We should just be, there should just be an overflow. God's, giving, God's beginning to give us an overflow. Of, of just his prophetic direction and his prophetic voice directing us. But, but, but many times God gives you a, a prophecy that you don't even necessarily need to share here in front. But he's saying something to you, giving you a prophecy, maybe something you can declare um, over the city, over the campus, over your, your company, whatever, however God is directing and leading you. Do, do you realize that every time we worship here, something shifts in the spirit? Right? When we worship just now, and it's not about perfection. It's not about doing things, you know, excellently, and obviously there's a massive place for excellence. Um, but God is not into our perfection, He's into faith. Right? So even if there's a couple of glitches and a couple of mistakes in the sound and the feedback and this and this happens, it's okay. Jesus needs our faith. Right? Who of you knows, and I use this example often, but Moses standing at the Red Sea. 
It wasn't the force of his staff or him lifting up his staff that opened the Red Sea. It wasn't that, it wasn't strength. Not by might, not by power, right? But by his spirit. And then the waters opened, but it was a prophetic action that opened up the seas. And so God can do amazing things with yielded people, right? He doesn't need, you know, a lot of people. He needs willing people, willing and teachable people that he could use for his glory. Now, I've got a word here tonight, Micah chapter 4, verse 11, and Mandisa spoke about the nations. It says, now also many nations have gathered against you. We say, let her be defiled, and let her eye look upon Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord, nor do they understand his counsel, for he will gather them. I'm going to read it again. Now also many nations have gathered against you, say, let her be defiled, and let our eye look upon Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord, nor do they understand his counsel, for he will gather them. God is busy gathering. He's busy gathering his people. But he's, he's making a powerful statement, and I believe this is it's a prophetic word over us today. The nations have gathered against you, the scripture says, and they were saying, let her be defiled. And I want you to, to see this on a personal level. The enemy does everything in his power. And I see this daily, you know, in just counseling people and ministering to people. The devil really goes a long way to really steal, kill, and destroy, like Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 10. He really... He really And remember, like we said earlier, he's a defeated foe, so he's not actually supposed to do it. If the enemy is stealing, killing, destroying, it's because you and I, the believers, are not enforcing the victory of Christ, right? But yet there's a lot of stealing. And and in our lives, personally, if you look at your life, I look at my life, the 34 years that I've lived, man, I can see how the enemy has tried his utmost best. And he would come to your calling. He would come to um, the things that are most precious to you. He will come and hijack your gifts because the devil knows you, right? He knows, he knows some things about you. In fact, he's been studying you. And especially if you um, are a threat to his kingdom, then he knows a bit about it, right? He, he, he doesn't have all knowledge as God does, but he has some power and he has some foresight. So he knows you, he knows your weaknesses, and he knows your strengths. So he knows where to get you. And so, so th- like the scripture says, he's been trying his utmost best to defile you. And so many times, and especially, I see this so often, and some of um, our leaders will attest to this, but, but so often someone would come and they would meet Christ. And I'm sure most of you have seen this, even in your own lives. You would, Jesus would do something amazing, and the very next moment, something intense will happen. You know, there would be just some setup. You know, um, you know, you would just make a statement for purity. You know, and then the colleague or the person next to you just, you know, shows you pornographic picture. Who's experienced that? The moment God does something, the enemy tries to pervert what he has done. Follow it up, and then he comes with the shame and the guilt. Right? But he's been trying 
And he's been doing everything to defile your spirit, right? Because Jesus says, unless a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. When we get born again, our spirits come alive. And your spirit is pure. For the, you, you read the word and everything is, your conscience has become alive. You read the scriptures, it comes alive to you. It's amazing because your spirit is alive. Now, he tries everything he, can, he possibly can do to defile your spirit, right? Because that spirit, like we said a couple of weeks ago, Jesus says, from your innermost beings, being rivers of living waters will flow, right? If he can defile the fountain of your spirit, what happens to the waters that flows, right? So he's, he's trying, but, but look at what God says, and this is so exciting and so precious. Um, and let our eye look upon Zion, but they do not know the thoughts of the Lord, right? And, and, and the enemy would use people. Many times he would use people around you, people that are the closest to you, um, to do the work of the enemy. But the scripture says, they do not know the thoughts of the Lord, right? And it's not like it's, not like it's people. It's not, it's, not, it's not personal. It's the enemy coming to hijack people around us to cause hurt and pain, right? And, and many times the people closest to us hurt us the most, and many times they're not even aware of it. They're not even aware of the destruction that they've caused, but the enemy has orchestrated. But, but then it says, they do not know the thoughts of the Lord, nor they do, do they understand his counsel, for he will gather them. The Lord is, is so intentional. He's so willing. He's, he's put us into this world that is a world that includes freedom of choice, right? He doesn't override your decisions. He will never force himself upon you. Jesus only comes by invitation, right? So he will not save someone that does not want him. But whoever comes, he will come. Whoever yields them to him, he will do it. Every time Jesus did a miracle, you can go and look in the Gospels, he would come to someone and he would say to them, what do you want me to do for you? Right? Even if someone has already come to him, he would, he would, he would say, what can I do for you? Right? And, and so many times we don't see this. We don't see um, the fact that the enemy is the thief. You know, but Jesus has come for life in abundance, right? And he wants, to, he wants to come, he wants to heal you, but you need to come to him and say, Jesus, come and make me new. Come and cleanse me, come and forgive me and purify me. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart. They shall see God. And again, it doesn't say perfection. He's perfection, yes. He's perfect. We need to be yielded. Then His perfection comes. And, 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 and God is not looking for perfection. God is not sin conscious. It's not like when we come to Him, He's got a list of stuff against us. No, that's not God. That's the enemy. The Bible says that the enemy, Satan, he is the accuser of the brethren. 
Right, so when you come and you step into worship and, and you hear those voices that says you're not good enough, you haven't, have enough, haven't had enough quiet time, you haven't been faithful enough, and you've, that thing that you did, that thing, that is not God's voice. That's the voice of the accuser. And, and, and the, the, the biggest mistake that you and I do is we, we listen to that voice and we don't deal with it. Right? We, some of us, maybe we've grown in our sin, we recognize that that's maybe not God, but still we leave it. No. You must take those thoughts captive. The Bible says, to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Right? You stop those, those thoughts. You stop whatever you hear and you rebuke those thoughts. Right? Out loud. Okay, our worship is going to get noisy in the future. We're going to have lots of communicating going on, right? And we're going to take some thoughts captive, right? We're going to stop the enemy working even in our midst because he comes in and he just wants to pervert what God is doing, right? The enemy is a copier. He tries, he copies what God does and then he perverts it, right? He cannot come up with anything original. And so his one goal, his one aim is to distract. Because if he can... If, he, if God does something amazing and he can just get you just to look off center and to look to that thing instead of that thing that God is doing, then he's done what he wants to do. Then he's tricked you out of your inheritance. He's tricked you out of what God has for you. And so you need to become intentional and you need to become effective in rebuking the works of the devil. That's what Jesus did. Jesus set us the example. The very first um, thing that Jesus did before he did any miracles, the Holy Spirit took him to the desert and the enemy came to tempt him. And every time the enemy tempted him, he could quote the word of God. He would say, say, this is what is written. And he would speak the word of God and then Satan would back down. Then he would come again, tempt him again. Jesus would challenge, you know, rebuke him and then you know, um, yield the sword, sword of the word. You know, we need the sword. You know, we cannot distinguish and discern between what is God's voice, what is the voice of the enemy, and be effective in countering the voice of the enemy unless we have the word of God in us. Amen? All right? If, 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 there's a, if you feel fear, right, you need to know that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And I know this is basics. I know we know this, but do we do it? The problem is not in the knowing. The problem is in the application, right? And being one step or two steps ahead of the enemy. Amen? God wants you to put you two steps ahead of the enemy. So the pure in heart, they will see God. Now, who of you don't want to see God? In other words, the opposite is true. The defiled in heart struggled to see God, right? But God is amazing. God is faithful. God wants to come and cleanse your heart. He wants to give you a new heart. And we're going to end off praying in a second. I want you to see this contrast. This is one of those really powerful um, contrasts in Scripture. Two characters, um, the prophet Samuel with, with, with Saul, and then later on the prophet Samuel with David. But we see Saul. 
He started out right. He was, he was a good king and he did good things. And then at some point he went off the rail. And what took hold of his heart? Pride. Right? Pride is the sin, the greatest sin. Right? Pride is the sin that you and I need to, when it comes, we need to nail that thing. When you recognize it in your heart, take it out because if you won't, it will take you out, right? The Bible says there's one time that God will resist you, and that's when you're proud. He says he resists the proud. God can do anything in your life if you're humble, right? He can do anything as long as you remain humble. But if you're proud, if you lift, lift, lift up your heart, you um, are resisted by God, and you will you know, experience that. It's a, it's a reality. But we see with, with Saul, he allowed pride to enter in, in his heart. And then we, we, we know the scene, but, but um, Samuel was the prophet, was away, and, he, and, and the enemy was coming, right? There was this threat of the enemy, this, 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 this coming war that was upon him, and he was ready there. He was dressed with his armor, and his troops were ready. They were ready to go out to battle, but they couldn't because God gave them certain a certain order of worship, a certain order of battle. I love the Old Testament, how there's no distinction between battle and worship. I don't know if you've seen that. I think in the New Testament, we, we, we lose this a bit, right? But it's even more reality in the New Testament. You know, um, you know our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. Sometimes in our worship, God takes us into battle. We had a taste of it when we, we, we got declaring in, in, in one of the songs in worship. But, but it, there's a real battle. And so, so there was an order of worship. And Saul started panicking because all he was concerned about was conquering the enemy and winning the battle so that he could get more glory, so that he could build his kingdom. Because no longer was it about God's kingdom and God's people, but it was about his kingdom and his glory. Right? And so... So Samuel, the prophet, who was the one that was coming, had to do the sacrifice and worship, um, he wasn't coming. He was delaying. And I think that was a little bit of a setup by God. And so Saul, in his panic, because pride, when pride comes in, fear follows. Right? Who of you have experienced this in your own life? As soon as there's pride, suddenly you're afraid of little things. Like stuff that used to, you, you used to easily be able to conquer this, but suddenly there's this fear that is crept in. Suddenly there's this bit of intimidation, but you never used to be intimidated. But now, because it's, it's you, because what does pride do? It isolates you, puts you into a little box, right? And, and, and if you're not in the box with God, you're a bit on your own, right? So then fear comes in. So that's what happened with Saul. And he jumped and he, he did the sacrifice. He did what the king anointing was not allowed to do. The prophet anointing should have done the sacrifice. And then he went and he did the battle. And we know the story. One of the saddest moments of Scripture, it says that God, Samuel eventually comes and he says, the Lord has rejected you as king. Right? Twice he, he he made mistakes like this, and then God said he rejected him. And then it says that the Holy Spirit left him. Very sad scripture, very sad story, because it was this man with all this potential, 
He could, he could have been such a great king. But look what it says here. So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great um, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Rebellion, Jesus says, or the scripture there says, it's like witchcraft, right? So sometimes witchcraft is not stuff that we do out here, but it's stuff in our hearts. Witchcraft, when we rebel against God. And stubbornness, some of us need to repent of stubbornness, as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. So Saul was complaining there to Samuel. He was saying that I did the sacrifice. It wasn't like I took all the, um, the cattle that was sacrificed for myself. I did the sacrifice. And then later on, God gives him clear instructions not to take the possessions of the people um, but he, he doesn't do it. And then he says, no, but I'll just give those to God. And he, he comes up, he, he reasons, he um, justifies his actions. If you find yourself justifying your actions, know that you are in danger. You know, once you find yourself, and, and sometimes, you know, you can fool people around you. But you cannot fool God. But note in yourself, when you begin to justify your actions, then there's this bit of an inner struggle that comes. You just need to repent. Just come clean immediately. You know, and we see this. This is the contrast I want you to see. Is David, he does a worse thing than Saul. He goes and he sleeps with one of his soldier's wives. Then he kills the guy. I mean, that's quite a few steps worse than what Saul did, Right? Adultery and murder, and together, that was really intense. But the response was completely different. See, God is a God of the second chance. God is the God who wants to give His grace and He wants to heal, right? But the way we respond is so crucial. We're going to pray this prayer together, but Psalm 51 describes, or it's a prayer that, that David prays, and we know the story, but after that sin, he, 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 he like completely repented. He came before God with everything, without any pride in his heart. He, he, he bowed down and he repented of his sin. He, he turned away. David, and we always say this at Bible school, David had repentance Saul had remorse. Saul was caught out. David was confronted and then he repented. Right? So, when you are caught out, you are caught out. Right? The facts are there. Okay? And so, you can respond in two ways. You can sort of get around the facts and that's what, what Saul did is, yes, 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 but I did that, and I did this, and, you know, actually, I didn't take the sheep for myself, you know, it's for sacrifices, right? Whereas David, he just, he just threw his heart before God. He said, God, forgive me, and I want you to see this, what he says. We're going to pray this just now. 
Verse 10 of Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation, and uphold me with your willing spirit. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. This is a couple of verses later. And a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. There was a brokenness in David. There was a humility in David. David threw himself before the king. And we know David was a worshiper. And that's what separated these two kings. And David was um, the successor of Saul. But he was a great king because he knew how to worship. And he knew how to allow his heart to be broken before God. There was one thing that really upset Jesus about his disciples. That really almost freaked him out. When, when he said, and even when they didn't believe for miracles, he said to them, you of hardened hearts. And he rebuked them harshly when they hardened their hearts. So remorse is when we caught out, but we harden our hearts. Repentance is if we always keep a soft heart towards God. So if you do one thing right, do this one thing right. Always keep your heart soft to God. Say, God, I give you access to my heart. I'm not going to harden my heart. And the enemy comes with sly schemes and sly devices trying to get you to harden your heart. That's, that's his aim. If he can get you to harden your heart, it's got you isolated. You see what he does? Always tries to isolate us. Firstly, from, from God, and then it soon follows that he isolates us from our peers, our, our brothers and sisters in Christ. He isolates us, and then ultimately tries to isolate us from our relationship with Jesus. Right? Tries to isolate us. So again, recognize that. If you feel... I want to be so far away from the people of God. Just ask yourself, why? And ask yourself, is my heart soft towards Jesus? Can Jesus come in and say anything that he wants? And if he can't, it means he's not the king of your life. He is the king, but he's not your king any longer. You've taken him away and you've taken the crown and you've put the crown on your head again. You need to give the crown back to Jesus and say, Jesus, you're the king of my life. I allow you to speak to my heart. Amen. Can we pray tonight? Band, you can come up. Thank you, Jesus. That you have already told us that the victory has been won. The battle has already been won. And God, you've already told us the outcome, that we are more than overcomers. Thank you, God, that we are more than overcomers. We will overcome this world by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. Thank you, Jesus, for your forgiveness in this place. Thank you, Jesus, for your direction in this place. Thank you, Lord, for your gentle voice and your healing presence that is here. I want to pray for you before we close tonight. If there's anyone here tonight 
you feel far from Jesus. There's not that living relationship anymore. There's the intellectual. There's the, I believe, and even that's on shaky ground. And maybe you've known Jesus and maybe you've had a great relationship with Jesus, but it's not there. I want to give you an opportunity here tonight to make right with your king. Is there anyone like that? Won't you just slip off your hand? Thank you for those hands. Is there anyone else? I'll have your eyes closed. Just keep your eyes closed. It's a holy moment. Thank you for that hand. Thank you for that hand. Thank you for that hand. You need to make right with your king. Your maker, Jesus. He's in this place. He's calling you. He wants you to be free. He wants you to be free from sin. He wants you to be free from the hold of the enemy. But mostly, mostly, He wants you to be free from yourself. Because it's the pride in our hearts that withhold us from that place of peace and seeing His beauty. The Bible says, worship Him in the beauty of holiness. Is anyone else that needs to respond? Why don't you just lift up your hand very high and say, Jesus, I'm coming. I'm coming home. Thank you for that. I'm coming to you again. There's some person here, this one, there's a guy, feel your heart in your heart, and I feel the warning that you're in grave danger. And you don't know, you haven't tasted, you haven't seen of what God has prepared for you. And the reason why you have such a struggle is because you've never experienced the love of a father. You had a father God. But here today, Jesus is saying, God is saying, I'm your father. Just trust me. You don't know. It's, it's unknown territory. But trust me. Trust me. And I can say to you that Jesus has never dropped me. Jesus has never, ever dropped me when I've responded to you. Why don't you just slip up your hand as well? Thank you for that hand. Anyone else? Thank you for that hand. 